This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Johanna, and Johanna was in a physically abusive relationship with an egotistical narcissist. It's a story of belief systems, using culture as a weapon, coping mechanisms, the power and control wheel, and getting your voice back. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Johanna. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I am well, and thank you for being a guest on our show today. And if you want to be a guest like Johanna is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And today there is a content warning on this episode as we do discuss animal abuse in this episode. Physical abuse is discussed in this episode. It is graphic physical abuse description as well as suicidal ideation, suicide attempt is discussed in this episode as well. So that is your content warning for today. And this episode, a lot of it has to do with using culture as a weapon. We've had episodes before where ethnicity was used as a weapon, an episode we've done a long time ago uh, where someone who was hearing impaired used that as a weapon. And in this episode, the culture is used as a weapon. We did our best to be as sensitive as possible when it came to this. And this episode has a lot of the power and control wheel. It's a big part of this episode. So you're going to hear everything that happens on the power and control wheel in this episode, Course of Control. And I can't thank uh, Johanna enough for being our guest today. So now I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Johanna, the floor is now yours. So um, my parents had a very uh, toxic relationship when I was growing up. Uh, I actually didn't find out until later on that. My dad definitely um, had some issues with my mom and my mom had some issues with my dad where they fought a lot. So I kind of grew up thinking that like the fighting thing was pretty normal. Like you stick it out no matter what, Um, that no matter what, 
you know, how bad it gets or whatever, you just kind of stay with the person. Um, so they never got divorced and they're better now, you know, and my dad actually became like a much better person as he got older. And I thought, oh, like people can change when really my dad is kind of like, he's not the rule. He's the exception. Like, it's not very often that people change like that. Um, um, yeah, I definitely had uh, a lot of, uh, self, um, self-esteem issues. And I definitely was a big people pleaser. I did not like the idea of people not liking me. I was homeschooled, which was another aspect of it. So I always really wanted to like fit in. I wanted people to like me. And I worried a lot about what people thought about me. So if whenever I had friends, it didn't matter whether the friendship really needed to be let go, I would kind of hold on to it or you know, I would give them things. I would, you know, do that. And anytime there was a conflict, like I would just immediately apologize. Like, it didn't matter whether I thought I was right or not. I just didn't want to argue. I didn't want to didn't want to fight. I was really, really shy when I was, like, a lot younger. And that, that continued all the way up until my freshman year in college as well. And were you an only child? I was. Super into art. I was a big, I was big on writing. Um, I loved poetry. I loved reading. I, I read a lot. And um, that was kind of how I kept busy when I was really little because there was a lot, a lot of kids in the neighborhood um, once I entered middle school. So when you think about relationships, you already mentioned that you were someone who saw it as like, oh, people can change. You know, you stick things out. Did you have any other beliefs about relationships? Did you romanticize relationships? Did you like look at Disney movies and be like, this is what I I wanted or romantic comedies and be like, this is what it is, you know? And as well, when you thought about who you were, who were you? And like, what did you want from life before we get into the meeting of, you know, the person that we're going to talk about? Yeah, I think it's it's very ironic to even think about um, my childhood favorite movies and stuff. Like, I loved Ariel and I loved um, the Beauty and the Beast, which are the two Disney movies that kind of stem around, you know, the girl changes for the guy. You know, she gets legs and she becomes human for him and then to be with him. And then the other one is like he had all these anger issues and then he changes and he becomes like a, her prince. And I was obsessed with those two movies. And Ariel gives her voice away. Is that part of the story as well to, to be <laughs> yeah, with him? Yep. She loses her voice. So that way she can be human and be with him. And I never really saw that connection, like me loving those two movies a lot, but I kind of had a tendency to change like myself in order to get people to like me. And especially in relationships, I changed a lot. So I know a lot of people think these Disney movies might be innocent, but in the two just mentioned, you know, kids are paying attention to the subtext of everything. So, and, and was this even subtext? But but it, it, it it's there. Uh, so hopefully, you know, they start changing these things in the future because they are a big deal and it's really not talked about enough. 
But anyway, getting back to you, Johanna, there after my little spiel, uh, you eventually started your first year of college. So take us through this. What happens from here? So in my first year of college, um, I went about four hours away from where my parents were and I didn't drink in high school, didn't do anything, only had one boyfriend, it was really innocent, and we ended up just being more like friends in high school. And then I went off to college, and I realized I really had no idea who, not who I was, you know, my, a lot of my core beliefs were kind of being questioned, um, just because I never drank before, I never did anything, and a lot of people were kind of shocked that I was... I hadn't done any of that. So I started to really start to question like, okay, like, am I like an artsy person or should I join a sorority and, you know, try to live that high school life I never had, which is a very weird thought to have. Like I know in college, but I think college is all about kind of finding yourself, but it just made me really realize like I had no idea who I really was or if I really liked the person that I thought I was all throughout high school. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So I ended up meeting a person who lived in my dorm and he had a pretty big drinking problem and he was very sweet. He would sing his music to everybody in the dorm and like all the girls thought he was so cute. And um, I just immediately felt drawn to him. Uh, Ironically, I also felt like something weird about him like like oh this is probably not a good idea I ended up really liking him and falling for him pretty hard um and he ended up hurting somebody when he was really drunk and had to leave that college and uh I continued the relationship despite my parents not being for it and my friends not liking him and that was like I think the first toxic uh, kind of relationship that I had when I was 18 and we were on and off for two years until I left. Um, I left and moved back home because I had gone really, really off track in college. Like I was driving to see him. I would get drunk with him a lot. That's when like my drinking was starting to really increase when I was around him. And there was a lot of, like, I just also want to say, like, there was a lot of fighting with us, um, but we were long distance. He was about, like, an hour, three hours away, so a lot of it was, like, we would see each other, and then as soon as, like, we would, you know, go our separate ways, like, once every couple weeks, he would break up with me, say he didn't love me, block me, and then he would text me and unblock me about a week later. It was a very, it was not a great first real like adult relationship so eventually we broke up but we only broke up and I only finally cut him off like and blocked him and everything when I met like my next relationship which is the one that went on for a really long time that was very very rough 
so you're in a very vulnerable spot coming out of this relationship and your friends don't like them. Your parents don't like that previous person. You have lower self-esteem kind of already. Drinking has been going on. I'm sure that adds to maybe shame and things along those lines, but you're coping, you know, it's a coping mechanism of what you're dealing with there, probably from earlier stuff in your life. You're someone that's been homeschooled. You're still trying to figure out who you are and, and what you like, and then you meet this person. So tell us about, I guess, the first meeting and and what happens from there. So I met uh, him in 2019 at a club, which I also, my parents met at a club and I knew that whole story growing up. So every time I went to a club, I was like, oh my gosh, like, like my man is going to be here one day. It's not, it's an, again, it's an exception. It's not a role. Most of the time it's, they're not going to be at the club. And I had a, started getting into a better spot in my life where I wasn't drinking. I was hanging out with my one best friend from childhood who she wasn't drinking either. So we would just be going out, having fun. And um, I was 20 at this point. And it was, again, an immediate drawn. I danced with him. He asked for my number. And I was so excited because I said, Oh my gosh, I've never had someone like actually ask for my number and text me the next day and us have a conversation. He asked me on a date and I just kept already romanticizing like the whole thing in my head. And we went on our first date and he brought me flowers. He, we went out and had coffee And I remember sitting there and I told my best friend, I was like, I think I'm going to marry this guy. Like, I just have that feeling. And it was because the way he presented himself was like, he was asking about me. He was asking about my beliefs, like my feelings. He, you know, was driving a really nice car. Like he was matching all the things that I did not have in my previous relationship, which was somebody kind of asking about me and caring about like how I felt, what were my opinions. And like, and he was asking about relationship questions, which now on a first date, it's not the most usual, like where someone's like, Oh, like how many kids do you want? You know, what do you think about cheating? Like people don't really necessarily just jump right into it on a first date from someone that they met randomly at a club. Um, which I think looking back now, I think it was kind of him just kind of trying to figure out what he was going to be able to say to kind of convince me and kind of like, I don't know, mirror me a little bit about like what I expected in relationships. And so we kept continuing to talk for a while and he would drop chocolate at my job, flowers. And I just, I w- it was the love bombing, honestly, like for sure. Like he was saying all the right things. And I honestly never thought I thought I kept thinking to myself every time I would think about him, I would say to like myself or my friends, I would go, I've never like had someone treat me like this before. And honestly, like, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. Like, this is the person that this is how I've always wanted to be treated by somebody. And so that was when that was for about, I would say about like a month, a month and a half, you know, like he, 
We went to art museums together. It was just, it was a really good, good time. And um, he was very, very doting all the time. And so there wasn't really any red flags that I saw or anything like that for like the first month or so, um, just because I think it was putting on this persona for a while until one day he drove up into a very different car. And then I had asked him, I said, whose car is that? And he said, oh, so actually it's my car. I've been driving my friend's car who's been out of the country for a couple of months. And I probably should have been like, why didn't you just tell me that from the very beginning instead of kind of putting on this front, you know? But I let it go. So before we get into more of what starts happening, let's discuss him mm-hmm. and who he is and what is his background because in our previous call when we chatted I, I remember you said that he used his culture and his background as a weapon so tell us everything about who he is where he came from and like what his role was in his family and things like that He came over here when he was in high school and um, the country that he's from sees like a lot of war and whatnot. And I, when he talked to me about it, he said he was not practicing um, with his faith. He was not super, uh, he was more Americanized, um, quote unquote, but the family dynamics, because I did eventually meet his family and the family dynamics were the women do not talk, the men do the talking. And I was, I'm very like uncomfortable with that kind of environment just because like my mom, now that my dad and her have had a better relationship, like my mom is definitely like the the alpha one in the house, so to speak. She definitely kind of is the one who always speaks her mind and she makes the final decision. So going into someone else's household where it's almost the complete opposite. It's very weird for me, um, which for some people it works. But for me, it definitely, I felt like I was just getting smaller and smaller because I was like told like, you know, you can't really do that as a woman. Like that's not what we're going to do. My, my family doesn't do that and you can't do that either. And as far as how he wants the world to view him or how he kind of views himself. Um, What is that? And then what is the reality of who he is? So I think the way he wanted everyone to view him was definitely that he was just smarter than everyone around him and that he is very worldly. He's mature. He knows how to you know, how to take care of himself, how to take care of his family. And he was just overall very confrontational uh, person, like not just with me, but with other people too, like, especially like other men, you know, he was very quick to say like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, you know, I understand because I like, I'm smart. Like I know what I'm talking about, even if it was something that he really didn't know what he was talking about. And I think, like looking back now, like the realities of who he was, it was, 
he never did schoolwork on his own. He had other people do schoolwork for him. So he didn't really pass all his classes with A's. He paid people to do it for him. He didn't take care of himself. His friends were taking care of him. Like he was always borrowing money from his friends and using it to pay for his stuff because he was, he, and he also never wanted to get an actual stable job. He wanted to be an entrepreneur really, really bad, which is inspirational and it's great, but you have to be smart about it and you have to really know what you're doing and go with a game plan. He was very, you know, one day it was this get rich quick idea. The next day it was another get rich quick idea, which usually involved other people doing work and him just kind of bringing in the money. And that's why there was just so many issues with finances, which is eventually why he started uh, dealing with his friend. So, you know, the story people are about to hear is of someone who I think if I remember correctly hits, I think everything on the power and control wheel and he's someone who has double standards and there's toxic masculinity going on and he's someone who sees himself as being really smart, doesn't want to do the work that will make you really smart, but he also wants to make everyone else feel that they're not as smart as him and and he'll attack you in, in those ways. So take us from here as far as how the relationship devolves as far as the the abuse goes. Thank you. So I think in 2020 is when things really started to go downhill. Um, I will say in the summer, uh, in 2019 in the summer, he came back home from his college and I started to notice definitely a lot of deception. There was him, you know, not as available on the weekends and whatnot. And I didn't have his location or anything. So I didn't check that. I just thought, Oh, like he's just busy. Um, there seemed to be a lot of birthday events going on every week. Some, one of his friends was having a birthday. So I wasn't going to that cause I didn't know them like that. So I looking back at it, it probably wasn't that many birthdays. It was probably just an excuse. So I wouldn't, you know, hang out with him and his friends. Cracks were like being formed in his personality in the way that I saw him snapping a lot more. Um, so, and that's also when the control really started. Um, so in 2020, like COVID hit and I was living, uh, in a town, uh, in the same town as him. And I was living about five minutes away from him because I ended up moving to the college that he was going to. And we were eating a lot of fast food and not really doing a lot of, you know, activities just because it was COVID. There wasn't really much to do. Um, and he ended up making a lot, started to make a lot of comments about my weight. And now mind you, he, doesn't work out, doesn't go to the gym, like doesn't do anything himself. But he, I remember like we were having our first, like kind of, I would say like disagreement. I thought about it because he made a a smart comment about like, oh, well, maybe if you lost weight, I'd actually want to be with you more. 
And I was like, well, look at yourself. Like you don't lift weights. Like you're, and I like, I'm gaining weight because we're not eating healthy. Like we're always eating Taco Bell and stuff, you know? And he turned around and that's when I heard his first big spiel of like him being this like whole big head thought process of he's like, if I walked into a gym right now, like I would tell all those fitness influencers and like how to lift the weights. Like I could outlift weight, outlift any weight that anybody's lifting in there. And he was like, you want to go right now? And I'll go in there right now. And I'll lift up any dumbbell that some big dude is lifting. And I sat there and I was like, is he delusional? Like, that's not how muscle like works. And I laughed and he turned to me and like had this like horrible stare, like he was wanted to kill me and his eyes like darkened. And he was just like, don't ever talk that way to me again. Like, don't ever laugh at me. And it was like in the most just really scary tone, honestly. And I was silent in the car. Cause I said, I was thinking to myself, like, I, do I know this person that's sitting next to me? Because like, I've never seen them look at me like that before. And I honestly didn't think it was a big deal if I laughed at something ridiculous that he said. So that's when he started up also the whole thing about, you know, you don't know any better. Your parents just didn't teach you anything. You don't know anything about the world. And he would bring up how I was raised, which I always kind of grew up thinking that I was raised with a, like a, a good amount of common sense and whatnot. And then he started telling me, you know, well, I've been in war. Like I've seen people die in front of me, X, Y, and Z, you know, uh, there's things that you will never understand and you were not raised to understand. And that's just how it is. Therefore, like, I just, I don't really want to hear your opinion on these things because you really don't know the bigger picture of the world and you don't really know how the world works. He was like, you're still like a child. You still have that child mentality. And honestly, that's not your fault. It's how you were raised. Like your parents didn't talk to you about these things. They didn't talk to you about, you know, how to make money and all that. And I found myself starting to really start to sit there. And at first I was like, that's ridiculous. And then afterwards, he said it so much. And even if it was just like a little mistake that I did, you know, just a little hiccup as a human, it was like, well, this is because of how your parents raised you, which I also think was the very beginning of me, like kind of starting to build up this resentment towards my family, because I was like, how could you have not raised me to understand these things in life? You know, I think that definitely started to also kind of, it was like the starting point also with me and my parents, like having this little break between us. So right here, he is using his, you know, culture as far as where he originally came from and and is able to weaponize it against you with your competency. And he's able to kind of start the beginnings of a little bit of isolation here with your family. And also he's creating doubt in your mind and he's using a kernel of truth because he is from another country there was war going on there it doesn't mean he's any smarter than you but the way he wraps it around in that kernel of truth that lie there it's a very easy thing 
to believe because it is true in a certain way. And so many abusers do something like that. And for you, you're someone who's an empathetic person who, you know, at first thought it was ridiculous, but as you said, he, he hammers it home and continues to do it. And after a while you started to believe it. So this is a big first incident because he's become this truth teller in your world. And this specific thing kind of does a a few bits of damage from the doubt to the isolation, uh, your competency and, and it's gaslighting. And now things from here on, I, you know, will start to go further downhill because he already has you, it sounds like at this point. And I think that that was the, there was a lot of issues with my family starting to grow just because I would get so upset with them over things that like, well, it's y'all's fault that I'm like this, like I'm messed up because y'all like created this. Um, which is definitely like one of my biggest regrets because it was also just, you know, my parents were almost in how I was raised was almost used as like a weapon against me and a lot of like debates. And then once I started the, it breaking down to the point where I was starting to believe like, Oh my gosh, like I am like, I'm not smart. I don't have any common sense. Like I'm overweight. Like I'm not that, pretty, you know, I was like, I don't really, I don't know if anybody's going to really care about me because every time I would catch him in any kind of little lie and like, for example, you know, he lived five minutes away from me, but for some reason he couldn't see me. But then I found out from when I looked at his Snapchat stories that he had saved that he was in Raleigh that weekend that he couldn't see me at the bar with his friends and I had found a video of him actually in a hotel room with a couple girls that he had met and I confronted him about it. And now mind you, I never raised my voice to him. I never yelled. I never was very assertive with him because I knew very much so that he believed in that women do not raise their voices to men that it was like his culture you know that's not normal that women do that in um, in america but i don't think it was really that i think that was just him using that as a reason to kind of discredit me correcting him and kind of that way because i can't invalidate someone's own experience with like how they grew up so it was just kind of I just decided, okay, well, maybe it is unladylike for me to yell at him or raise my voice to him or assert myself. And he is like, you know, a lot more worldly than me. So that's probably the reason. So he started to get a lot more comfortable because he kind of got me exactly in the spot where he wanted me to be. He wanted me to be quiet, let him do what he wants. And when I found that video, I actually like called him and I, confronted him about it and he was like oh that's that's not what you thought and I was like what do you mean it's time and date stamps on snapchat I was like I just saw it and he said no like you you like miss all like what you were you didn't see it right and I was like and we started going back and forth 
And he was like, how about I come over and like, we clear this up. And I said, sure. So he came over and he somehow like opened up his Snapchat and he was like, it's, and there was no longer in his Snapchat. And he was like, see, I don't think you saw, I think you just had a dream or something that made you think that you saw it. And I definitely in the back of my head was like, okay, like, am I actually going crazy? Like, am I, am I losing my mind because I'm so in love with this guy that I'm like making things up in my head? So I let it go, but um, I have a senior dog and he started to kind of rough play with my dog and my dog doesn't have the best back legs and he did a little yelp and I said like, hey, like don't rough house with my dog anymore. I said like he, you know, he, he you're going to hurt him by accident and he kept doing it and he did it again. My dog yelped again. So I stood up because that's like my dog, that's my baby. And I put my finger up and I was like, very firmly, I was like, stop playing with him. Like you're done. And he didn't react. He just stared at me with that same look and grabbed my dog's back leg, yanked it really hard. And my dog screamed. And I immediately told him to leave. Cause like, I just didn't understand like how you could do that to a dog who they don't understand their dogs. And, and he was punishing me for me correcting him on something. And then he, we had food there. It was Chick-fil-A and he just picked it all up and just started throwing it at me. And I had a Chick-fil-A sandwich hit me in my face and he was like, you know, I'm done. And I ruined, uh, I ruined anything special that he tried to do. Anytime he tried to be nice to me or try to make things right or do anything nice for me, I ruined it with my attitude and I ruined it with how I was as a person. And I definitely remember sitting there and kind of thinking to myself, like something isn't right about this. Like this does not feel normal as because I'm cleaning up food around my apartment when he was the one that was caught in a lie that was being of him being disloyal to me when we're in a relationship. Yet 20 minutes later, I call him and I try calmly explaining like it's my dog, da da da. And immediately it's this whole spiel of about, you know, you just don't understand like where I'm from. Like women just don't do that. Like, So here is a rule that you learned early on as far as his culture goes. So now you've caught him in something. And then because of the way you respond to it, just by questioning what is going on, he then does... To me, this is physical abuse, throwing things at you, hitting you with the yeah. sandwich and, and throwing food. And he then invokes the rule from the beginning. So he's shifting blame here on to you as you're the one in the wrong. Everything else gets let go I assume. How do you feel when that happens? I feel like 
it's a very, it's a weird feeling because you definitely feel yourself starting to get smaller and smaller. And it's almost like every single time I let something go that I knew I shouldn't have probably let go, it was like a little piece of me was breaking and like going somewhere that like I wasn't, I wasn't becoming more of a person. I was becoming less of a person as time went on. And I actually went off to college to find myself and figure that out. And I ended that in that at the end of that relationship, I honestly realized I actually lost myself even more. Like I, I had, I had to almost start from the very beginning and almost kind of regress back to when I was younger in order to like build myself back up and form the person that I really am. So how long into your relationship does this happen? Uh, uh, the incident with the with him with my dog and everything yeah that, that was about uh, that was about four or five months into okay, it so four or five months this is this is already happening and how long was your relationship as a whole three years three years so after this how does this get smoothed over and then what happens from there uh so it got smoothed over uh just basically by me apologizing um, that was the only way things would smooth over, over because it was either that or, you know, him threatening to break up with me and then who's going to want you like you're, you're fat and you're, you don't know anything about the world. Like no one's going to love you or put up with all your problems like I do. So I would sit there and think about it and go, you know, what? he's probably right. You know, I haven't really had any kind of guys knocking at my door anytime soon. So I probably should just like listen to him. And I would say, I'm sorry, you're right. And then that was it. But everything was escalating. You know, the, the lying was escalating. The, you know, you know, we were going out and drinking. Uh, at the beginning of 2021, when things started opening back up, we started going out all the time. And that was when my drinking was escalating because he... He smoked a lot and I did not like smoking. So I like drinking. So I would just go full force into my drinking again. And it got so bad because uh, I started calling my mom drunk, crying about him because we would get into fights uh, a lot. And she ended up telling me either you end things with him or you need to move out because like they were paying for the place I was staying in and they did not want him anywhere near like the apartment. And I told him about it and he was like, Oh, just move in with me. And I said, that's a great idea. Like, you know, let's do it. And, you know, I could be closer to you. Like, this is great. And, um, and I will have my parents holding me back from seeing you or restricting me seeing you. So, it was probably definitely the thing that I think like sent everything to speed um, to end a lot faster because I started going, trying to go to the gym more and whatnot. And he didn't get a gym membership. I got a gym membership, but um, it was an issue because I started, I was at the gym and I would get phone calls of like, why are you wearing that? And I was wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, like, oh, you're trying to talk to a guy. Like, that's why you're at the gym right now. 
And he would say, like, either you get home right now or, like, we're done. Because, like, I'm not putting up with you, you know. And he would use a lot of terms like whore. And he was like, I'm not dealing with you being a whore, like, at the gym. And I was actually just looking out the window, looking out on the treadmill. And I was like, I don't even, I don't understand, like, what's going on. And I saw his car just drive by. And I started to realize, like, that everywhere I went, he was, you know, checking on me or when I started a job finally uh, because I had to start paying him because he I was taking advantage of him by living there uh, according to him so I needed to get a job and so I quit going to the gym and then I got a job and then the job was an issue because he would actually park in the back of my job and watch me to make sure that I wasn't talking to any of my male co-workers when I was leaving work Then he said that I was flirting and trying to get with guys at my job, so I had to quit my job. And he said that the only way that I could make money and not, you know, disrespect him and give him the money directly is if he had me do OnlyFans and stuff like that, where he was my manager. And I said, no, absolutely not. Like, that is not something I want to do. Um, and I think that was, like, the first time that I actually, like, put my foot down on something and I, I stuck with it. And then it became a problem, me living with him, where, you know, he said, well, if you can't make money, then clean the house. And I was cleaning and cleaning and cleaning. And I noticed that. I like sat back on the couch one day and I felt something hard on my back and I pulled out a gun and I fell all in the cushions and he had guns everywhere in his cushions. And I asked him about it and he was like, oh, that's just so you know, like, what's up? Like, don't get too comfortable here. And I thought that that was extremely, that made me extremely uncomfortable. And I was honestly a little scared because I was like, I don't, that's, I've never seen someone like have guns like directly facing the barrel facing out towards the cushion. So um, I think that there was a lot of little aha moments where I was definitely starting to put the puzzle pieces like, hey, like this isn't right, you know. Well, he has you here running in his circle of I want you to do this. And then when you do it, you know, we're dealing here with someone who on the abuser type list is somewhere in like the terrorist, a drill sergeant. They're walking, watching you like a hawk. And then some of the things are contradicting and it has to be confusing because you're until you put your foot down there, you're, you're saying, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. And you're conforming and just nothing is ever going to be good enough for this person. The threat that you're, I think the threat that you're living under, you know, especially now when it comes to the guns, but with the amount of control that he's starting to show before the guns even take place, you know, that, threat in how you're living at that point, I assume has to take its toll before the guns come out because you're living in a prison already and now the guns get added. Are you afraid to leave? Like, 
are you like you have to be afraid of so many different things at, at this point of how you're even talking to maybe how you're moving within the house to isolation of like making sure that this person doesn't get set off again. Yeah, I, I definitely think that the term about like it's like walking on eggshells is very accurate. It's I really felt like I was going above and beyond, like I would do all his laundry, but then he got really mad at me for how I did his laundry. I didn't separate the towels from the jeans, from the white, from the dark clothes, and he threw all of it on the ground, went off about it, and called me incompetent and stupid, and how could you not know this? Like, did your mom not teach you? Like, these are things that a woman should know. And I was thinking to myself, like, my mom just stopped doing my laundry, like, a year ago. Like, I kind of just throw everything in there, and everything seems fine. So I, but I was, again, and then I, like, I was angry at my mom all over again. Like, how could she not teach me as a woman to woman, like, how to do laundry? How can she teach me how to not, like, I, I didn't even know how to cook chicken, you know, the way he wanted. So I started to, it was like every task that I did around the, his apartment or any task I did for him um, in, our, in the room that we shared, it was like, okay, like I would spend an hour making sure, okay, he's going to come home and he's not going to see anything wrong with the, the way everything looks. Like I did the laundry right. I did this right. I scrubbed the floors right. Like I did all this stuff right. Like he can't, there's nothing for him to say. And it, cause it's so, it's scary, like sitting there and like almost wanting to be praised by someone so bad or wanting them to be, show that they're thankful for something that, or you're doing something right. And every single time it's like, you're not doing something right. And it's stuff that you should almost like be, it be naturally instilled into you, you know, according to them. So it's something that I started to feel like I was lacking, like not only as like a person, but as a woman and like as a future wife. And that really took an emotional toll on my self-esteem. I already had a low self-esteem, but it was just definitely like starting to really go down the drain at that point. And I remember like not even really looking in the mirror that often, you know, I, he didn't like me wearing makeup. You know, so I, I threw out all my makeup. Um, he didn't like a lot of my clothes. So I threw out all my clothes. I started dressing the way that he preferred me to dress. And all this time, you know, we were still going out. And he also started, um, I think, before uh, things really kind of uh escalated really 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 far to the point that we ended up ending things um he we went downtown and every time we would go out and drink I actually would have like one or two female friends like with me that like some of my girlfriends that he actually liked um mostly because he would ask for their number while we were at the bar and then they would tell me about it and I would not, I would be like, he didn't mean it like that. And they would go, he's texting me. It's definitely weird. And those friendships didn't last very long. Um, but he liked some of them. So they were allowed to go out with us. And I remember that I was binge drinking all night because it was like the only time I felt like kind of any kind of, um, relief 
from feeling like I was just like locked up. Like I really felt free whenever I was drinking and he encouraged me drinking. Um, he would buy me a lot of drinks, but then also talk to his friends like, oh, she's got like kind of a drinking problem. But he would also go to the bar and buy me another another Red Bull vodka. And I noticed that like I was with my one friend the whole night, just like by her side. And I went up to him and I asked him what time we were leaving. And then he looked at me. He was like, you just hit me. And I, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you don't, you don't remember what you just did. Why did you hit me? You're embarrassing me in front of my friends. And I went up to my friend and I said, did I hit him? And she was like, no, we've been together the whole night. I was standing right there. You didn't hit him. And she was like, and then she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So we went home next morning he was like you blacked out you got too drunk again like you slapped me at the bar in front of everyone like ask my friends which i never asked his friends anything because his friends had always even said that with how they are it's the guy no matter what at the, their their friend at the end of the day that like, they will lie and lie and lie so i knew not to ask his friend what happened because i knew his friend was just going to say whatever he wanted them to say and so I said, I asked my friend and she said, I was with her the whole night and I never touched you. And he was like, no, you slapped me in front of everyone because you said that I was talking to a girl. And I was like, I went up to you and there was no girl. So it, it like, it was like, that was like the first time that he started also saying the whole, like, every time you get drunk, like you're doing this and doing that. It was like the the weirdest weird thing to me because I know I used to get like really, really drunk, but I wouldn't black out. Like I still remember things. So with the drinking, it's a coping mechanism for you at this point from everything that you're dealing with. And then the double edged sword of this is that when you go out, he wants you to drink because he is now able to, or in his mind, he is able to um, create stories. First, he can then eventually call you, you know, an alcoholic, even right. though he's drinking too. But he is going to create stories. He is going to gaslight you about it. And he's going to, again, have you start questioning your memory, creating doubt about who you are, and then to make you the physical abuser and make you sound controlling as well. And if it wasn't for your friend not being there, you might have actually truly believed that's what happened and with him creating these stories. So in one way, you're coping and he is, but then the other way, he's encouraging this because he can see how he can keep a tighter bit of control on you. And he's also smearing you to his friends at the same time. There's a lot right. going on in this scenario. So when this happens, are you believe, even though your friend is telling you one thing, you know, and telling you, no, this is, this didn't happen. Are you still believing it in some sort of way or, or are you starting to like, figure things out a lot more here about what might be going on. 
No, I, I definitely started to, because I, I definitely trusted her. She wasn't drinking as much as me. And she even said, you know, no, you've just kept going to the bathroom trying to ask people to buy you drinks. Like you, you were focused on drinking that night. You were not focusing on him at all. And I, I definitely, because he said it and I saw his friend's face when his friend, when he said it, his friend kind of looked over at him confused. And I immediately was like, no, he's lying. Like, because his friend is definitely did not know what he was talking about, but he was just kind of going with it because like, you know, he just didn't want to disobey like what his friend, what his bro was saying. So I, I definitely think that's when I started to kind of um, emotionally shut down from, I was mentally already kind of shutting down, like uh, thinking about breaking up a lot. Like I would, I started doing dog sitting because animals make me happy and at that point, um, I just realized, you know, no, like I just need to be away from him for like a little bit more. So I ended up started doing dog sitting and I was dog sitting one weekend and this was, uh, like in April of 2021. And I remember watching a movie and I was like, I really want to break up with him but I physically can't do it because I'm so scared of the ramifications. If I break up with him, his friends are not great people. Like they, they drug deal, like I'm scared. And also what if, you know, he retaliates and has like all this evidence of like me, you know, drinking or me doing this, you know, I was like, I was just, I was like, you know, I prayed, I was like, if I, if you can just get him to dump me, like, I will never go back to him. Like, I won't ever do it, which is, I did go back to him, but you know, it was the thought that counted in the moment. I think it was just like a desperation. It was like the first thing that I needed to have that break to eventually stay away from him and woke up the next morning. He called me on a rage about uh, the fact that he drove by the house and the blinds were open in the house that I was dog sitting for. And that's like, he never liked me to have blinds open whenever I was staying somewhere or even my own apartment blinds were not to be open. So he ended up going on this whole rage. And I noticed that for the first time ever, I wasn't crying. I wasn't hyperventilating. I was just like, okay, okay because I was so used to it and so over it at that point. And then he ended up just breaking up with me. That very next day after I was like, please just get him to break up with me because I cannot seem to physically do it. It was the best morning of my life. I called my mom. I said, I have great news. Like I'm free. Like, you know, I was on like cloud nine. And, but then because I had used drinking as like a coping mechanism for, for so long at this point, the first thing I do is go out and drink. And I got extremely drunk and I, he ended up, I don't know how he knew what bar I was at, but because I went to a different bar than what we used to go to, he showed up and looked at my friend and said, I'm taking her with me. And my friend was like, I think she's fine where she is. And he was like, no, she's coming home with me. And we got back together because he did his, uh, 
first speech of him actually kind of saying like, no, we can work on these things. Like they're just little things that need to be tweaked in our relationship. Like, I don't think that like you're okay without me. Like you're already out on the streets, like drinking already the first night that we break up. Like this is what I'm talking about. Like you, you're not going to be okay without me. And I was like, actually, he's probably right. Like maybe we can give this another shot, but I definitely, I definitely felt, like I had stopped being in love or being in the idea of being in love with him for a while at this point, probably a couple months because I felt overall very numb. And I think it was just the fear of where I was going to be at mentally that I was really, really scared about more than being away from him because I just had no idea who I wanted to be at that point. So, um, Fast forward to August of 2021, he, we went out to a bar as usual. And cause that was really the only time that we spent like quality time together is if we were out and about drinking. And cause if we were at home, he was like, you know, smoking with his friends or playing video games. It was, or he wasn't even home. I was home by myself. So I went on his phone and, um, found messages with like hundreds of girls on Instagram. And I, because I had stopped going through his phone because that was always called the cause of our arguments. So I wasn't allowed to go through his phone, have his passcode, none of that anymore. And, but he broke his phone. So he got a little Blackberry and I was like, well, I can get into this like without an issue. So I was drunk and I went through it and I found, um, all these, all this stuff. And so I was just kind of, no, like, that's not okay. Like we're back together and here's plain as day, hundreds of messages of you talking a certain way with other people. And he said, we're breaking up again. Like I'm done with you. Like you question my authority. You question me, like we're done. And that was like kind of another thing. Like you don't question him. You don't question his authority. Don't do any of that. Like he is the man and you just don't do that. So because I was just so intoxicated, I just started immediately crying. And I also wasn't allowed to cry around him. It was a sign of weakness and it was a a manipulation tactic that women use is crying. So I was never allowed to cry in front of him. And I ended up crying and he kicked me in my spine and I fell off the bed and landed on a trash pizza box. And I remember going like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm literally falling onto a pizza box because his room is so disgusting. Like he doesn't clean and I haven't cleaned in one day and it's already trash. Like, I was like, he just kicked me like, this is ridiculous. And I, I don't quite know the term for it, but they, they did tell me like the, at a, about it at the hospital, but it's basically like your breaking point. And I just snapped. I started screaming at him. I could not stop screaming at him. I pushed him. I was like, you just kicked me in my spine. Like we're done. Like I'm done. Like I hate you. I was like, like, I, I, I actually hate you right now. I was like, I cannot do this anymore. And he slapped me because, you know, 
I was out of control, even though this was the, there had been so many times of him out of control and it had been fine. But the one time I finally released all these things that I've built up for three years, I was crazy. I was out of control. He was calling me a crazy B word, like all this stuff. And he kicked me out of the condo and like his apartment and I was like throwing my shoes out the door because I was like, oh, you're going to kick me out and call me a whore. You know, I was like, I'm done. Like, that's not how this is going to go. And I was just very angry. And he opened up the door again, grabbed me by my hair and dragged me inside and had a hold of my arms and like dragged me all the way to his bathroom. And mind you, one of his friends was there and he was going, stop, stop, don't do it, don't do it. And he told his friend to shut up and he picked me up and like using his forearm, like pressed me against the bathroom door and pushed on my neck. And like, I was actually lifted off the floor. And when I was like saying I couldn't breathe and his friend just kept telling him to drop me, then he dropped me. But ironically, he immediately goes to his phone calls my mom and tells her that she needs to come pick me up. I'm crazy. And I've hit him. And my mom was very, she said that all she kept hearing was me in the background saying, tell her what you just did. Tell her what you just did to me. Why aren't you telling her the truth? And my mom was like, what is she talking about? And he was like, no, don't worry about it. She's, She's very drunk right now and she's crazy. Like your daughter's crazy and I need her like to be, I'm done with her. You need to come get her. So, but my mom said that she could, she, his voice was shaking so bad because he was so angry that she was like, okay, we'll come get her. Like my mom was said that she was trying to be as calm as possible because she knew that he did something. So we go out, I, I try leaving and he, breaks my driver's license, throws it at my face. And he calls me a slew of names again. And I hit his windshield because I was like, I was trying to get away from him after he threw the driver's license and he was just kept pushing me. It was, it was a very physical altercation even outside. And so I hit the windshield out of the, I was like, get away from me. And it was already a cracked windshield. It wasn't even his car. I think it was like a stolen car or something that he had. But I ended up running because after it cracked, he looked at me like he was going to go completely nuts on me. So I I, I ran and I was running in the street and he chased me all the way to my, my neighborhood. And that's when I called the cops and um, they ended up, coming and taking me to the hospital and took pictures of all my bruises and everything. And I remember looking in the mirror and not even recognizing myself anymore at all. And the cop, I said, I don't want to press charges. Like it was just a really big mess, you know, et cetera. And he was like, it's not up to you. It's the state's decision. Like you're covered in bruises. You know, we, we have to. And, um, and I just could not stop crying. And I, a couple of days later, I, that was the last time I drank. I have not had alcohol since August, uh, 
2021 and I've been sober ever since then. And I only talked to him one time after that when he reached out from a blocked number because he had a, an order or a no contact order, but he was still breaking it. He was still DMing me on social media. He was still trying to reach out and talk and have closure. And for a really long time, I felt a lot of guilt. I was like, oh my gosh, he got arrested. Like, it's horrible. But then I realized, um, you know, when I finally met up with him, because I was so worried about him hating me, I was so worried about him being angry with me, even still after everything that happened. And I actually met up with him. And in a public place, he was like, no, you know what? I think it was good. We would have never broken up if that didn't happen. And I was like, I'm glad like you understand that. And, and he, instead of apologizing, he grabs me by the neck and in a public place said like, you should be grateful that we're in a public place right now because I could kill you. And I walked back to my car, locked my doors, drove home blocked him on everything, blocked his entire family because even his family was still reaching out, blocked all his friends. And I was like, that was the last time we spoke because I realized I was like, he did not change. He just wanted one more time to take control over the situation. I was like, I'm not having that. And since then we have not spoken. So in our call before this, we went through all of the different things that happened and, you know, we didn't mention all of them today for, you know, the, you know, the timeline of, of everything that was, was going on. But when it hit that, when I said you, you hit, hit everything on the power and control wheel multiple times, you know, with intimidation, um, you know, the throwing of the food, the physical abuse, uh, things that weren't mentioned it was that, you know, he, he pounded things, he slammed doors, uh, he played with knives during arguments or a couple of things that weren't, you know, mentioned that happened as, as well. The guns between the cushions, there was isolation going on, there was jealousy going on, there was like control and that going on. The emotional abuse, the put downs about who you were, your competency, uh, your body, um, he minimized everything. He was really an expert at taking his culture and weaponizing it and using it against you as a set of rules, number one, and then also specifically as a way to gaslight you and, and create doubt about, you know, where you came from compared to where he came from, making him the truth teller and the smarter, smarter person in the relationship. Uh, part of this was the male privilege part of the power and control wheel with the, the, the defined roles of patriarchy and the talk, toxic masculinity that were going on. Financial abuse as far as the job and then making you try to pay for things when he would force you to quit the job. And, you know, you really hit everything on that list multiple times. You were dealing with physical abuse as well in a very scary situation and even scary right up there to that last meeting there because who knows what someone with that mentality might do. So you're very young, you know, when all of this happens. Right. 
you know, how do you unpack this and how have you started to deal with all of this in the aftermath of, you know, you grew up in one specific way and, you know, you, there was chaos there and it got you, you know, you're first in another bad relationship before this and then this relationship, which was not just, you know, abusive and course of control, but your, your life is in danger and you have the emotional scars and the physical ones. So how did you unpack that? Where do you begin? And I guess, what are the issues that have been created because of it? So I think, I think there was a lot of relationship issues even after it. Um, I tried rushing into relationship after relationship. Um, I never, because I was not, I realized I was not comfortable with myself. Like I was not comfortable being alone. I wasn't confident who I was anymore. And I got into one relationship that ended pretty quickly. And it was, I wasn't addressing the core issue, um, which was no longer, it, it wasn't him anymore. It was within myself. It was, it was me not really loving who I was anymore. Like I hated myself that entire relationship that I never learned to love myself. And I got into another relationship where the, he ended up cheating on me and I was in my car, not really knowing where to move anymore because I hadn't mended that relationship with my family yet. And that was only like a month uh, relationship. And I realized I finally got a job and I talked to my family because um, when that person broke up with me because they wanted to be with someone else and I was living with them, I remember it was my 24th uh, birthday and I was like, I'm, I'm going to end my life today because nobody will ever love me. And that was just like a very common theme that um, I tended to think about a lot was that I was never going to be loved, which in reality, I just really needed to love myself. And I still had my family. I just didn't, I just needed to mend that with them. And so uh, that was an attempt that I had when I was 24. And um, my mom ended up calling me uh, to wish me a happy birthday right in the middle of it. And that's when she was like, hey, like, come, come over. Like, we want to talk to you. And my mom actually saved my life that day, like talking to me. So um I spent time with my family, kind of opened up to them about everything that happened. And they were very, like, re kept reinstating, like, you know, like, that's not normal. Like, you can be loved and you will be loved and you are loved. Like, you just have to love yourself first. So um, I got back into school uh, and started going because I did not do well in classes during that time frame, And I was so sober and I just kind of got more involved with putting the pieces back together. Um, I still avoided therapy uh, for a while. And I 
ended up moving in with some friends and got my own room and everything. And it was a really good period where I was, I had a male friend, but he left for the army and he was like, Oh, have you ever thought about the army? And I said, no, I haven't ever thought about the army. Like I'll do it. I'll talk to a recruiter. And, um, I had one semester before I was leaving for basic training and, um, I did really well that semester. I focused on school. I started to draw again. I started to write again. I started to paint. I really focused on the things that I loved and spent a lot of time with my dog and spent a lot of time with people that were good for me. And I would go to the gym and I fell in love with working out and like lifting weights and going to the gym. And I think that was another thing that kind of um, helped a lot was lifting weights made me feel like no one can ever lay a hand on me again. Like no one's ever going to hurt me because like I'm stronger, I'm mentally stronger, physically stronger. But when I left for the army, that's when the underlining issues of not dealing with that trauma, like definitely got unpacked because the way Joel Sargent's talked to you is very much so the way that um, an abusive partner can talk to you, right? Like, you know, the, the demanding, the yelling, the getting in your face, the intimidation, and there's a reason for it. But with, if I didn't, really come to terms with what I went through before I left. And I ended up developing panic attacks during training because I was like so scared of like disappointing my drill sergeant, which the reality is you're always going to disappoint your drill sergeant. That's their job is to be disappointed, to build you back up and make you stronger. But I also gained so much mental strength from training and I learned, like, I'm by myself here. Like, really, you know, like, I, we, you have, like, your battle buddies, but you're really by yourself. You know, you have to learn. It's, it's you versus, you know, you in training. And I gained, like, such a level of confidence in training because I accomplished so many things in training that I never thought I would ever accomplish in my life. But I, when I came home, I realized like, okay, I need to go to therapy and like really work on the underlining trauma that I have not, I have not like really worked through. And so I came back home and that friend that was in training as well, uh, before I went, um, he and I actually started dating and we're still together. And it's the first person that I've been with because I had about eight months of being by myself, like while he was gone and while I was gone, where I really just kind of focused on caring about who I was as a person and like really appreciating the qualities that I have and go like, okay, I can bring something to the table to somebody, you know, it's not just about me being like trying to earn their love. Like I don't need to earn someone's love. You know, I just, you just need to be like loved and you love, like that's it. And, and he's also the complete opposite of anyone I've ever dated. He does not have a temper at all. Like he could stub his toe and it wouldn't make him angry. <laughs> so, um, it's the, it is actually the first like relationship that I've been where it's actually like slowly developed. It's not this instant, oh my gosh, I'm going to marry this guy. You know, it's not like that. It's a friendship that is just built on 
like a foundation. And so I started going to therapy again, just because I do notice that I think sometimes after you get out of a relationship like that, there is like this weird phase um, where you get your voice back, but you almost become so assertive that it can easily turn to you being uh, like being almost cruel to your partner. And I think that I, you're always on the offense side because like you're trying to get ahead of it. So that way you're not the victim again, you know, you're not going to be hurt again. And I think that it becomes like this, like fine line between knowing how to be in a healthy relationship and almost becoming the, like the person that, that hurt you. And I started to definitely notice that, you know, I have trust issues now. Like I definitely have like my own temper like, cause I didn't have a voice for so long that when I finally got my voice, it's like, I want to assert that all the time. Cause it feels good. It feels better to be like that than it does to be sad and small in a relationship, but it can easily hurt the people that are around you that actually do love you and have never hurt you. So I definitely think that's like an issue that I've definitely been trying to work on in therapy and after realizing like I need to unpack um, a lot of trauma. But I also think that so many people, when I talk to them and stuff, to have this mentality of like, oh, I don't understand why you don't, why you didn't just leave. Like, that's crazy. And it's, you don't get it till you get it, which I hope that many people don't get it because it, it sucks. But it is physically, it's like this like whole rope is like tied around that person and to you and it's like you physically can't do it you cannot break it because there's just that small moment of like those moments of like where you were happy or that very beginning person that you saw and you just want him to be or her to be that person so bad that you hold on to that and it's like the only hope you have like you know it's when you put someone on a pedestal or you have like that bare minimum bar, like so low that it's really not that hard to blow anything that is good that they do like up a thousand times because it's just so, it's so rare. But in reality is that's not how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be like those few good moments. It's supposed to be the few bad moments, but a lot of good moments. So I definitely think like, I had a lot of issues with like my self-esteem afterwards and I think therapy and just a lot of honestly just being alone, like by myself and really sitting with myself and analyzing who I was as a person is really like what helped me the most. And if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would it be? Take it one day at a time. I think that's like, and, and, and don't be so hard on yourself. I think that, most of the time, a lot of people are just like, they beat themselves up about it mentally. And it's just, it's hard to leave. And it's, e it's easy to get into those kind of situations and relationships, and it's hard to get out of them. So take it one day at a time and just know that at the end of the day, all you have is yourself. So that's what matters the most. Well, Johanna, I really want to thank you for being our guest here today. You did a great job telling your story. 
and we got to you know go through the power and control wheel of everything that you went through and you know some people delve into their healing process of everything that they've gone through and how they're dealing with things and you really went into that today as well and i can't thank you enough for sharing all of that sharing your feelings about the situations that you were in sometimes it's hard for people to create language around their feelings and to decipher what's going on and you did a really good job of that today as well for people to help create movement for for them to leave so i really just can't thank you enough for for being here today and sharing your story thank you so much for having me well thank you once again johanna for being here with us today and if you want to be a guest like johanna was today please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page, and there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button, and please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we have a support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says support group. Inside, you'll see that we have our, our very own safe social network. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday nights, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. It's a great group of people on there. So if you need support, join our support group today at NarcissistApocalypse.com. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. And at DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have, every, they have every phone number, email address, web address for shelters and agencies. No matter how big or small the town you are in, DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, go to DomesticShelters.org today. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers, which can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers is a, a group, an organization that helps you on the last leg of getting out. They, they help you with your move. They get all of your stuff out of your home into storage. Uh, pets and livestock too. So if you are in course of control, if you are in a domestic violence situation, they can help you uh, go from your home and ever get everything into storage to get you to safety. Pets and livestock too. Currently only in Canada. And, you know, it is a donor-supported charitable organization. So if you want to donate to them, go to sheltermovers.com. If you need help from them, go to sheltermovers.com. It's a wonderful organization with wonderful people. And I can't say enough about them. They're a great friend of the show. And that is it for today's Survivor Story, for today's episode. And from myself and Johanna, we hope you have a good night.